All right. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Great. Awesome. It's a, it's a holiday week, right? Uh, it was a weird holiday week. I am petitioning that there never again be a Wednesday holiday because that was definitely the worst time of the week to have a holiday. It was like having two Mondays effectively, right? You show up on Monday. Mondays are terrible. You show up on Thursday. It was the same thing. Thursday was the longest day of work of my life. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jake Noyes. I'm the pastoral resident here at Flourishing Grace, and I'm super excited to be here uh, and talk to you guys about Stephen. And, and uh, as you know, we've been walking through the book of Acts this summer, and it's been a really exciting journey. It's been a, a fun walk, I think, but it's also been really enlightening, right? We have seen in the course of the last couple of weeks, so many people start following Jesus, That's been the theme of Acts. The theme of Acts is that all these people come to know Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus. And that is exciting and it's awesome, but it's also come at the expense of their lives, right? They have been persecuted as a result of their faith. At the beginning, we just saw when when the disciples come out, they're, they're speaking in tongues. It's this really neat event, this cool event, and they get mocked. But we see a ton of people come to know Jesus. And then later, Peter delivers this really powerful sermon. And then he's arrested. And a ton of people come to know and follow Jesus. And today, what we're going to talk about is the first person to die for their faith in Jesus. We're going to talk about the first martyr. And the the persecution now for the church is going to get real. It was one thing when they were getting made fun of. It was another thing when they were getting arrested. But now... People are going to start dying. And so we're going to dive into the life of Stephen. And, and Stephen is, uh, is our first martyr. So if you have grown up around church, you've probably heard of Stephen. If you haven't grown up around church, you actually may have heard of Stephen. He's one of the, the, the people in the Bible that is most talked about outside of Christ himself. And so today, uh, we're going to look at how life is short, but it can be impactful that God can use any life to glorify him, to bring people to know him. And he's a good example that life is not measured by the quality or by the quantity of your life, the length of your life, but by the quality of your life. But ultimately, the question we're gonna ask today is why did Luke record this story in the Bible? Why do we even know who Stephen is at all? Because that's an important question. Right? We know that he's the first martyr, but, but a lot of people die for their faith. We're going to see that moving forward. And we've seen that throughout history that Christians have given their life for what they believe. So why is Stephen so important? So if you would, go ahead and pull out your Bibles, and we're going we're gonna to dive in and find out. So uh, if you do not have your Bible with you, there's a blue Bible underneath your seat. You can pull that out. We're going to be on page 1012 of that Bible. For everyone else... We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, and we are actually going to cruise through chapter 6 and 7. So, to kind of lay a little bit of groundwork, when we first meet Stephen, where we're at is we're we're in the midst of of some early church struggles, and those struggles are the, the, the result of the rapid expansion, right? I said that there had been thousands of people that have come to know Jesus, and as you can imagine... When that many people start following Jesus, that's going to create some issues just simply because of the sheer numbers, right? So at this point, when we meet Stephen, there are a bunch of elderly widows that we see in verse 1 that are being neglected. So if we, if we look in verse 1, it says, uh, In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, 
a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows, meaning the Hellenist Hebrews, or the Hellenist widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, at this time, we have two different groups of Jews in Jerusalem, right? You have your Jews who are from Jerusalem. They are people who grew up Jewish, and they are who the, the Luke is referring to as the Hebrews. They speak Aramaic, right? They grew up and they knew all these Old Testament stories. And then you have this other fraction. And those people are the Hellenistic Jews. And what a Hellenistic Jew is simply someone that probably came to Judaism later in life, but was certainly born outside of Jerusalem and spoke Greek, right? So you have, you have these two parties, one speaking Greek, one that's probably converted, uh, and these widows who are being neglected by the Hebrews who have grown up and been there for their whole lives. So the apostles are called in, and in verse 2, it tells us that they could not give up preaching the word. What it says is the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So what the apostles are saying is, man, we were told by Jesus we cannot stop preaching the word of God. We have to tell people the good news. But we also need to serve these people. We can't give up on them either. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get seven people to take care of these widows. And the word here where they say serve tables is actually where we get the idea of deacons, right? If, if, again, if you've grown up around church, the deacons are a, a body of people who serve the congregation. Their role is to make sure that these types of situations don't come up, and when they do, that they take care of them. And that's what these seven men are called to do. They're called to be our first deacons. Now, they're, they're not literally being titled deacons. We get the name from where they came from, but that's what they are. So... Stephen is the first person mentioned in the list. And what that tells us about him is that, first of all, he's likely a Hellenistic Jew himself. He's a Greek-speaking Jew, probably a person that converted later in life. We see that, that mass numbers have come to know Jesus, right? 3,000 people, 5,000 people. And so at this point, in Jerusalem, there's probably 12 to 15,000 followers of Jesus. But Stephen is a man of good repute who's called by his congregation, right? It says the apostles tell the people to choose seven people. So the people that know him choose him to come in and serve them. And that tells us that, that he is a man of God, right? He's a faithful man, he's a wise man, and it's pointed out twice in verses three and five that he is full of the Spirit. And because Stephen takes on this task, the apostles are able to continue preaching the good news. So it's an important thing. Serving tables allows the apostles to focus on the bigger picture. And sometimes what that means is that menial tasks are incredibly important. It's like unloading the dishwasher. How many people here like unloading the dishwasher? One of you. At my house, it, is, it causes more fights than you would believe. I hate unloading the dishwasher so much. It takes five minutes, and I know it only takes five minutes, but I hate it. But here's the reality. It doesn't matter how clean your house is. If there are dishes in the sink, your house isn't clean. You can pull your fridge out and vacuum all that dust that's behind the fridge, and everybody knows how disgusting it is and what I'm talking about. You could be the person that cleans that, but if you have a spoon in your sink, your house isn't clean. 
That's just the way it is, right? You have to have no dishes in the sink to have a clean house. And so those small tasks are, lay the foundation so bigger things can happen. And Stephen has not been called to be a preacher. He's not been called to be an elder. He's called to serve tables. And it's an incredibly important task. But sometimes those are the tasks that get overlooked. Right? If we think about Flourishing Grace Church, and we ask, if I stand up here and ask for volunteers, the first thing that people always sign up for is the First Impressions team. And that's amazing because the First Impressions teams are the people that greet you when you walk in. People see you. But you know what nobody ever signs up for? Mowing the lawn. Building management. Those are the ones that we, we never have people doing. And it's because, hey, nobody sees you doing it. So it's not a glamorous gig. Nobody wants to be the person that does that. But we want to be on the First Impression team where people see us. And Stephen knows that this isn't a glamorous gig, but yet he takes it on. He's witnessed people be called into these great, uh, great arenas. Men like the apostles who are preaching the good news and seeing thousands of people start following Jesus. But not him. His job is to feed old ladies, to serve tables. But it's an important reminder that God can use any person and any situation for his glory. Right? It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or if you think your job or your position is, is important, it is to God. Because what we see with Stephen is that even though he was chosen to wait on tables, even though he doesn't have this glamorous gig, even though he doesn't work at the church, right? he's given a platform to tell people about Jesus. In verse 8 it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Even though he's only been called to serve tables, that doesn't stop him from telling people about Jesus, from proclaiming the good news. He's still performing miracles. He's still declaring the good news. And if we pause here for a second and kind of go off topic for a second, I think it's really important to acknowledge what the Holy Spirit is doing here. See, Stephen is, is, is the same Holy Spirit that's working through the apostles is the Holy Spirit that's working through Stephen. And that's an important thing to remember. Sam Storm, who's a pastor at Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City, he, he described it this way. What he said is that the Holy Spirit that Stephen, that, that, that is moving through Stephen is the same spirit that moves through the apostles. He's not getting a fraction of the Holy Spirit. He's not getting the JV version of the Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that's working in the apostles, that works in the elders, that works in every single one of us. The Holy Spirit uses everyone, not just people who we think are of high-ranking officials, not just pastors and elders. He can use everyone. And it's the same Holy Spirit for you and for me. And so I think that's an important thing to remember because Stephen, as he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's working these signs and wonders, he's challenged. Now, we don't know exactly why he was challenged, but what we do know is that it's a group called the freedmen. And the freedmen are a group of Hellenistic Jews who were at one point in their life either slaves or the children of slaves. So what they like to do is make sure that everybody knows that they are really good Jews. right? That's, they, they are really hung up on the, the customs and the, the law and the temple and the people who have come before them. And so one of the speculations is, is that maybe they're frustrated with Stephen because Stephen's now talking about Jesus. But what we find out in verse 10 is that no matter what they say to him, he comes out on top. 
In verse 10 it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So you can imagine that these guys, as they challenge him, can't come up with anything to, to say to him that's gonna, that, that's gonna disrupt his communicating the gospel, so they feel like their only option is to resort to lying. And that's exactly what they do. They start telling people and falsely witnessing against him. They accuse him of speaking against the law. They accuse him of saying that Jesus is gonna destroy the temple. And they say, man, this Stephen guy, he wants to change the customs of Moses. And Stephen's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, and that's where we pick it up in verse seven. And and, uh, in chapter seven, excuse me. And one of the things I wanna point out about Stephen in this scenario is that Stephen is not a well-educated man. We're about to see him walk through the entire Old Testament in about 10,000 words, right? He does it really, really quick. But what's important is that he knew his Bible, but it was actually the Holy Spirit working through him to deliver this sermon. See, we can work really hard to study the Bible, and we should work really hard. This is a, this is a place that we should spend a great deal of our time. But in those moments, when we're sharing the good news, that's when we need to lean in on the Holy Spirit. I think some of us, or a lot of us have probably had this experience, right? You're having a conversation with someone, and in the midst of that conversation, as it's getting theological, you suddenly spout off some verse, and you go, I didn't know I knew that, right? And then you walk away from that conversation, and you're like, oh yeah, I totally didn't know that, right? That's the Holy Spirit. Sure, I've read it at some point. When I was a kid, my dad used to make me brush, brush my teeth and read the Bible at the same time, which at this point I'm really grateful for, but at the time it was a little bit obnoxious, right? But now I'm really glad that he did that because I'm able to, the Holy Spirit helps me recall those things that I've read. It's not me, it's the Holy Spirit working through me. And that's exactly what happens here for Stephen. In chapter seven, he starts by walking through the history of Israel. He says, the Lord has showed up Throughout the history of Israel, the Lord has showed up, and yet you have constantly rejected him. They've been preparing for the arrival of the chosen one. They've been preparing for the arrival from the Messiah. Since Genesis, since the beginning of the Bible, we have been waiting for the Messiah, and when he showed up, what did they do? They executed him. They killed him. And this is what Stephen is telling them. He says, look, Starting with Abraham, then moving on to Isaac and Jacob. You guys have been so hung up on these men. You're, t- you're focusing on the men of the history of Israel. You're not focusing on God. Who God, who had a plan for all things. Because remember, Jacob is the father of the patriarchs of Israel. He's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what did those men do? They sold their brother into slavery. They sold him to Egypt. But had he not done that, God, would not, God allowed him to, him to be sold into slavery because it fulfilled his plan. Israel was able to flourish as a result of Joseph being erected next to Pharaoh. So when the famine came, God's people survived. But what that also meant is that they spent the next years enslaved by the Egyptians. And as the population grew, it came time for God to save them and deliver them into the promised land. And so he raises up Moses. And Moses is the hero of their faith. He's the person that they spend so much time worshiping. He's gone from being a man who worked for God to being an idol, someone they've 
focus solely on. But Stephen points out, even though Moses was raised up by God, even though he was raised up to save you from your persecutors, to rescue you from slavery, your ancestors rejected him. In verse 35, they asked of Moses, who made you ruler and judge? Even after they've been delivered from Egypt, even after he's delivered them from slavery, even after he's been performing these signs and wonders, they still reject him. They come to Aaron and they say to him, they say, make us gods. We want to go back to the way it was in Egypt. Again, they reject the Lord, even though he has provided. He then goes on to talk about Joshua leading the the, the Israelites into the promised land. How David said, we need to build a house for God and Solomon who built the temple. But God doesn't live in a building See, that's what he reminds me of. That's what Stephen reminds him of. He says in verse 48 or 49, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? See, Stephen is saying to them, you guys are missing the point. You have started worshiping the creation, not the creator. You've lost focus of God. The temple that you hold in such high regard, that is a creation by man's hands. That's not God's. God doesn't need a temple. You guys are so focused on the law and making sure everybody observes the laws and doing this thing and this thing and that thing. But that isn't the point. Those are the creation, not the creator. And so at this point, you can imagine they are upset, right? He's come in, again they challenge him, again he refutes what they're saying, and then he lays this on them. In verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. Right, what he's saying is, you are so focused on men, you are so focused on the ancestry of Israel and you're, that you're, you're worried about eliminating customs and laws. And by the way, all these people that you're spending so much time idolizing, your your ancestors persecuted and killed them anyway. See, they're worried that they're going to lose the customs of Moses. Not that they're going to displease God. If we look back in chapter 6 and read verse 14, they are worried about losing the customs of Moses. They're worried about the holy place being destroyed. These aren't things that, that God is in necessarily, right? God created them, but they're not God himself. And so what Stephen's saying is, do you worship men or God? These are just men. They are all broken, sinful men. If you look at the lives of these men, they are not necessarily people that would, we would look up to and idolize. They did terrible things. He even points out that Moses killed someone, but God raised him up and used him because it's about God. But at this point, somehow they've gotten lost along the way. The central point of their faith is men and the accomplishments of men. 
And I think this is an interesting idea. I think that, that if we look at religions, that oftentimes religions start to focus on people. It might be a person. It might be me. But they start to focus on people, which is why that's one of the reasons that here at Flourishing Grace Church, we talk about a relationship with Jesus. See, we don't believe that Christianity is a religion. We believe that it's a relationship, right? The word religion implies that you have to do certain things and accomplish certain tasks in order to to adhere to the rules and regulations, but not in a relationship. A relationship, you seek to please the person with whom you're a relationship with. And for us, that's Jesus. It's about Jesus. Nowhere in their indictments do they worry about God. Martin Luther, he said, whatever your heart clings to and confines in, that is really your God, your functional Savior. I mean, think about that for a second. They are so caught up in the law that they completely miss the Messiah show up. This is the thing that they have been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. And when he showed up, they weren't prepared for it because they were so focused on these menial things outside of God. They've lost their sight that they need to depend on God. And at the end of this speech, they're, they're furious, they're angry, so they drag Stephen out. In verse 54, what it says is, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Remember at the beginning I asked, why do we know who Stephen is? I would argue it's not because he was the first martyr. It was because he was the first person who treasured Christ above everything else in his life. With his dying breath, he quotes Jesus. All the way to the very end, his treasure is Christ. Stephen is a nobody. There's nothing special about Stephen. He's not not called to be an elder. He's not called to be an apostle. He's a guy called to wait on tables. That's his role. And yet here he is, and we're, st- we're reading about him because with his dying breath, breath, what he said was, Lord, forgive them. Lord, I treasure you above all else. With my dying breath, I am going to be focused on you. I treasure you at all costs, which means I'm willing to die for you. That what you've given me is greater than anything on this earth. That the gift of eternal life matters more to me than my own life. And I think too often we look at this And we see Stephen as the hero. But the reality is is that Stephen is not the hero in this story. Jesus is. Jesus is Stephen's hero. That's why in the final moments, he's looking up to heaven and crying out to his Savior. And he's not saying, save me. 
He's saying, forgive them. And that's why we know his name. When he was dragged into the street and his body is being broken and crushed, his skull is literally being hit by rocks. He is calling out to Jesus because he treasures Christ at all costs. He's focused on Jesus. These guys are so focused on the law and on Moses and these other things, but not Stephen. He's focused on the Lord. Until his, with his final breath, he is clinging to Jesus. And I wonder, could that be you and me? If we look in the mirror and ask ourselves, am I someone who treasures Christ at all costs? Do I treasure Christ above everything else? In Matthew 6, 21 it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we look in the mirror and say, man, what are those things that define me? Is Jesus in the top five? Is he in the top three? Because he should be number one. We should treasure him above everything else. And the question is, man, where does Jesus fall on that list? If I were to ask people, what do they define me as? What would they say? They say, man, he's always trying to please his wife. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But that's probably not what I want first on my list. Right, where they say, man, he's someone that's consumed with technology. Or he's really motivated by his career. He wants to get ahead. Those aren't the things that I want to define me. See, I think we have to ask ourselves, what am I spending all of my time doing? Am I dedicating my life to studying the word, to praying, to growing in my relationship with Jesus? Because the reality is, is that the things where we spend most of our time are indicative of what we care about the most. The things that we treasure the most are those things that we commit the most time to. And if we're not committing time to growing with Christ, then how can we treasure him above everything else? This isn't a list of checks and balances. This isn't a thing that you have to do, right? It's not, man, you, we need to read the Bible more. We need to pray more. No, it's we want to grow in Jesus. And by growing in Jesus, the natural repercussions are going to be the things that, that, to study the things where he is, to follow him to grow in our relationship with him. The reality is, none of us are gonna be martyred. We have it pretty easy when it comes to, to persecution for our faith. But there will come a time when people will gather in a room like this and they'll remember our lives. And the question will be, what will they say about you? What will they say about me? Well, they say, man, Jake sure loved the Denver Broncos, and he sure loved to play golf. Or they say, man, Jake treasured Christ above everything else in his life. Where do we stand on that map? Do we follow Christ above everything else? Does that, that means 
do we allow times and moments to pass by when we could be sharing our faith? Do we ignore the opportunities when people stand up against us or do we tell them about what Jesus has done for them because Jesus matters to me more than anything else? This is what makes Stephen unique. He treasured Christ to the very end. And I think that can be true of you and I also. That if we would just lean into the Holy Spirit and lean into Christ, that when that day comes for us, that people might stand up here on a stage like this and say, man, that person really loved Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we come before you grateful for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf, for the love that you showed by dying on the cross. And Lord, like Stephen, I pray that we would be a people who, who treasured you above everything else, that we sought you and you first in every aspect of our lives, that we seek to know you, to love you, delight in the things that, that you have provided us, that we would seek to grow in our relationships with you, and that people would know us as people who treasure you, that this would give us the opportunities to speak your name, to share your news, and that our lives would be about you, Lord. God, we thank you for giving everything so that we could live. In your name we pray, amen.